Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe, and you've guessed it, this is where we talk about money. And it is my mission to empower you, to help you make the best financial decisions possible. Why? Because money is a tool, life is for living. Let's go. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Conversation on Money podcast. I hope you are well. Thank you so much again for joining me this Monday morning. Um, so we have um, experienced a lot of, uh, I would say, excitement when it comes to kind of like crypto over the last maybe month or so, Bitcoin, all-time highs. I still need to do the conversation around uh, Bitcoin ETFs. I will That will come probably next week. Um, but at the same time, we've also seen stocks like Tesla rally quite significantly and so this episode, I want to talk about, you know, the investment markets as they are currently and what seems to be cryptomania. And to help with this conversation, I actually have a guest on. His name is Jason Mumford. I'm going to be going in a moment. Um, Jason's been in the industry for quite some time now. And uh, I, as always, I like to bring a different voice onto the onto the podcast, different area of expertise to offer a bit of different uh, perspective. So, uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pete. Really happy to be on. All right. So first and foremost, to, just to get us started, why don't you give a brief introduction to to you so that the audience can uh, kind of familiarize themselves with you? Yeah, sure. So um, you, they probably already picked up. I've got a bit of a twang to the accent. So I'm not a, uh, not a UK local, although my mates back home are saying I'm sounding more and more like a Brit every day, but um, <laughs> was a financial advisor in the UK, uh, sorry, in Australia for a number of years and then moved to the UK um, pretty much bang on four years ago. My um, obviously been working in the industry here as a financial planner now as well, and sort of locked down last year, like a lot of people sitting around twiddling my thumbs more without the commute and that sort of thing. So decided to um, start creating some content myself. So that's how kind of we've obviously met and um, across the sort of different platforms um, and have a bit of a chat that way. So still working as a financial planner now. I'm still doing that as as my day today, um, but putting more and more energy into into my own podcast and YouTube and and that sort of stuff as well. Excellent. Are there? Have you found that there are any um, differences between uh, the financial advice sector in Australia and here in the UK? Any significant kind of like differences that you've noticed? So it's really interesting because I think there are more similarities than there are differences, and especially in the way the industry is structured. The financial planning industry is very very similar, gone through a very similar history. Um, the actual nuts and bolts of the tax system and that sort of thing are quite different. So um, it's I've kind of in. It's like the way I explain it is it's like learning a, a second language rather than learning to speak for the first time. So quite often, not so much now, but especially when I first started, you'd hear a term and you think, "What the? What is that? What does that mean?" And then you look it up and you think, "Oh, that's just like X Y Z in Australia. It's just called something different." Yeah. So yeah, a bit of a learning curve, but um, but yeah, definitely a lot of similarities. I think we're, we're similar people. Aren't people aren't we Brits and, and Aussies absolutely. have got a lot of things in common. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to kind of like the investment markets, I want to start there first and foremost. And I'm sure that working in the space as an advisor, you would have been acutely aware of this um, kind of underlying tone that there's going to be a market crash eminently around the corner. You know, people are saying it's going to happen this week. And I was like, why this week specifically? <laughs> but in your view, what, with all the speculation about a market crash, what's your take on it in general? And how do you how do you approach it? How do you view it? 
Yeah. So I guess, well, the first thing to say, and you know, I'm sure you're expecting me to pull this out at some point, but obviously it's not financial advice, any of this. Um, I am a financial planner, but this is just my own opinions off the cuff sort of thing. But um, I, to be honest with you, it's not something I think about a lot because I think the when you get into the biggest trouble with investing your money is when you're focused too much on that short term. Um, and so for me, obviously, you know, especially if you're looking at the US market, which even here in the UK, we tend to get more information about US companies, US assets, US markets and what they're doing than we do our own markets, really, which mm-hmm. is a bit weird. But it can, um, you know, there can be a, a lot of a lot of noise around that. And I know obviously they've performed very well over the last couple of years, S&P 500 is up significantly. You mentioned Tesla before, you know, there's a lot of examples of companies that are going kind of bonkers. Um, but by the same token, we know that there will be a crash, like there just will. We don't know when it's going to happen, but I think uh, the S&P 500 is up, what, like 25% year to date, something like that. It did, it did 16 odd percent, 15, 16% last year. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, zooming out, just if you're looking back in history, if you look at one year of 16%, the next year at 25 odd percent, like it makes, it's common sense that at some point there's going to be a bit of a correction there. Um, I think the th- the way I always look at it is, it, you, know, you, know, you know, it will happen, but we don't know when it's going to happen. So trying to time it is is a bit of a fool's errand in my, in my opinion, I think for the clients that I work with, it's, it's more about making sure you've got a long-term strategy rather than trying to be smarter than everybody else out there, out there and, and pick the highs and pick the lows. Do you think there's um, an innate focus maybe on um, short-termism, particularly because obviously you create, you know, content on YouTube as well. Do you find that, that there is a focus of that short-term play in opposed, in opposed to that long-term play that we would always talk about? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think, I think a big part of the problem is that long-term thinking is kind of boring. Like if you're talking about investing or really not even just investing, but if you're talking about anything where you're looking at a long-term result, even like your health and fitness, like investing money and, and, and building up a, a big investment portfolio, you know, to live off in retirement or, or prior to that, whatever, it really is just simply a matter of putting together a diversified portfolio, putting money in on a regular basis and then not messing about with it. Mm. But you know, you can't create content around that. And it's not just, um, it, it's not like, um, it's not a dig at people creating content. I create content myself, but like the news cycle is always telling us that you need to do something now. Um, this is going to happen. Things are going to get bad tomorrow or, uh, you know, same with all the stuff about COVID. There's always information being thrown at us, which makes us feel like we need to do something. Um, and I think, uh, so I think it's human nature then that we're, because we're being bombarded with those, those messages all the time, that we feel like, shit, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like uh, I need to, I need to tweak things. I need to move things when actually in a lot of cases, it really is just about sticking to that original plan and and just seeing that through consistently. Yeah. Do, do you see, cause obviously for the clients that you work with, you'll have these conversations with them and that will guide kind of like the plan that you put together for them. But do you see in contrast, like in the YouTube space, um, do you really see it being a problem, the fact that there are so many um, videos and so much content, as you say, pushed out, you need to be doing this now, you need to be invested in this now. 
how problematic do you think that actually is long term? I think it's problematic. I think the problem is you don't change it. So, I mean, you and I have t- I've talked a little bit about this before and how there's a lot of um, there's a lot of crap on on social media, on YouTube, very poor advice that is thrown out there. TikTok's even worse. Like some of the stuff you see on there is absolutely insane. And so I think there's two ways to go about it. Like that, that short-termism, I don't think it is good. But like I say, it's not just individual creators that are doing this. It's like CNN, it's the BBC. So they're going to keep doing it because it's a necessary part of the world we live in. Mm-hmm. You know, they need new news. There's going to be new stuff out there. So I think you can either kind of bury your head in the sand and say, oh, I'm a, I'm a long-term thinker, so I'm not going to create any content or I'm not going to put out any messaging about things that are happening in the short term because I don't believe in that. But actually, I think what then happens is that, uh, especially somewhere like YouTube, all that is left, if all the people with the right mindset on it don't do it, then all that is left is the people who have the wrong mindset on it. So then the person who gets screwed over the most is the person on there looking for education, looking for information, and there's no people that are giving them a more nuanced message. So, you know, the way I tend to try and approach it myself is that I will still cover these issues that are happening in the short term, but kind of always try to bring that back to say, but don't worry about it. So like I did a video recently about this stuff, um, this Evergrande situation that's happening in China. That one did really, really well. Yeah, it was one of your biggest videos, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. And I think um, I kind of explained what the issue was. And it's, you know, if you've not heard about this before, any of your listeners haven't heard, it's kind of like a big property company in China, look potentially default. Well, I think they have def- they have, def- they have defaulted, defaulted on a payment. Yeah. Um, could it be like a Lehman Brothers kind of 2008 replay? And obviously, that could be a scary kind of idea, right? Like 2008 crisis was massive. It's a big company's. Um, have never recovered from that, et cetera, job, you know, job um, issues, all that sort of stuff. So it can be a knee-jerk thing to say, shit, that's a really big problem. That could be something that would really impact me. What should I do about it? And so, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of content on YouTube at the moment about that saying, you know, the world's going to end. The way I kind of approached it was, yes, this could be a big thing. It could be a an issue that impacts uh, the China and the rest of the world, but these are the reasons why you shouldn't necessarily worry today. Um, and these are the things you should do about it, which is probably nothing for the time mm-hmm. being. So yeah, I think the, a long answer to your question that I do think it's a problem, but I don't think it's a problem that any of us can fix. So I think the only way we can kind of fight against it is to still be putting out content that talks about these short-term things, but has a bit more nuance to it and a bit more of a, a long-term view of how this impacts your long-term wealth creation. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I struggle with all the time. I'm, sometimes I, I think about videos that I want to make, the stuff that I want to make, I know doesn't get, will never get viewed because it's not sexy yeah, and, yeah. and important enough. It's not going to capture the imagination. And so I make some videos sometimes and I'm just like, oh, like, all right, I'm going to try and give the other side to the coin here. But I think sometimes you just don't know whether it resonates or not. And I, what what is great about being online and, and having the podcast and having the YouTube channel is I will get a message on Instagram or an email or something like that from someone saying, I found real value in what you were saying here. Mm. That was what I needed to hear. And it, it's almost like fighting a barrage of like um, counter arguments all the time. And yeah. I just find it fascinating, especially when it comes to the um, the human reaction to some of this stuff, because, you know, 
we'll get onto crypto in a minute. Crypto is a prime example where yeah. there is so much FUD, so much do this now, FOMO, YOLO into, into these uh, cryptocurrencies that it's fine when it's going up, but when it trails off the end, the reaction of, well, you weren't expecting this to happen because you were sold this, this blue sky scenario where you're going to waltz off into the sunset hundreds of thousands of pounds richer and all of a sudden because you didn't take profits now you hold in the bag and you're thinking what on earth am i going to do now it's yeah. always that kind of it's that conflict between the two that i often find and i don't know whether you you find the same on youtube yeah as you're saying i just you know i was thinking that i think that's that's what i actually really like about podcasting and something that i'm getting more and more into it's, it's definitely for me the channel that is doing the best for me in terms of listeners and that sort of thing. And I think it's it's because I naturally feel more comfortable there because I find with YouTube, you know, you'd know this better than I, but you know, the retention is so tough to get on YouTube. Like that's one of the biggest battles is like making people watch me for like more than a few minutes is really, really tough. Yeah. And so you kind of feel like, like I, I, I think I speak quite quickly anyway, but on YouTube, I feel like I have to speak like a million miles a minute to like, cram as much into those first couple of minutes as I can. Whereas on a podcast, you can kind of, you can make a point, you can throw a caveat in there. You can explain where maybe that point isn't necessarily relevant. Some of the circumstances talk about some of the other resources that might be useful if you want to learn more about this particular point. So you have a lot more, a lot more leeway. And, you know, again, I'm sure you've seen this, the retention of podcasts is generally way better. You know, normally if you can get someone to what, to listen to it, they're probably going to listen to the whole thing. So you're like, right, I've got half an hour now to actually explain something properly rather than try to give a really quick surface overview in like six minutes. Absolutely. Yeah, I will completely agree to that. Like YouTube, I've got so many comments. There was one where I was trying to um, explain tax on crypto and the guy was like, get to the point in the comments. And I'm like, yeah. Are you serious? Like you're talking about <laughs> tax, like yeah. taxation on its own. You want to make sure you get this right. Like, and this is, I don't know, it is the world that we live in now because obviously you do have mediums like TikTok where it's 60 seconds, three minute videos at max, trying to cram as much in there as possible. But I'm a big advocate of content and context. And the context yeah. is so important. There's a lot of content out there, but really not a lot of context around that content. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is because I, I struggle with finding the balance between trying to deliver the two at the same time. But you're right, with podcasts, people tend to listen to them and digest them a little bit more. And it's been the almost the premier uh, kind of forum for me to, you know, provide that detail, if it were, more so than YouTube. Because then, yeah, it's uh, constantly get to the point, you know, you take too way too long and it's like... My channel's not for you, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't sit there for yeah. 10, 15, 10, 12 minutes, maybe, for a video. You're, you're on the wrong channel. There's, there's, there's others up down there that you can go and have a look at. But, you know, I always find it very, very strange and, and quite fascinating sometimes as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that you have that internal monologue is, is proof enough that you're on the right track, if you know what I mean. Like, I think even if you're doing more like clickbaity, not you personally, but if anyone's doing more kind of clickbaity videos, but in your mind, you're kind of like, oh, I'll try and squeeze in like a bit of more like longer term thinking or more nuance into that. I think the fact that, I, th I think that that sort of goes back to my point, the more creators that are out there that have that little earworm that's saying like, 
I'm going to do this, but I want to try and do it in as much of the way as I can as possible. I think, you know, it, that, that tells me that you're on the right track. So, yeah, I, it's weird because Tesla is a prime example. Like my thumbnails, I, sometimes I'm, I know that you're supposed to make this thumbnail really nice and like you know, <laughs> drag people in, but I did one on Tesla because obviously Tesla over a thousand dollars a share. I think it's 1,100 it peaked out or something like that. I haven't checked it over the last couple of days or so. No, Everyone's like, oh my God, you, you hold Tesla. I'm like, yeah, it's done really well. I've been in for a very long time. It's all very well and good talking about that stock now that it's at a peak again. But when yeah. it was, when it, when it, when it regressed and went down in value and I was holding a little bit of a loss, nobody saw that side to it. So I obviously did the video and I put on the thumbnail, do not FOMO this stock. And I feel like yeah. the party pooper, but it's like, <laughs> People were like, oh my God, how do I get into Tesla? And I'm like, you're getting in it at the at the top. You're like, have you done your research around that stock? Do you, are you actually holding it because you really believe in what the where the business is going to be in five or six years time? Or is it, oh my God, yeah. it's at the high, so I need to get in. It's very, very weird. And that brings us on to crypto, really, because crypto is kind of like the same thing. It's There is a lot of hype and obviously a lot of volatility in that, in that space. Um, what's your view on the crypto market? I think, I mean, obviously I have to be a bit careful because it's not a regulated asset. Mm -hmm. I'm a regulated financial advisor, but I think, uh, you know, I think it's impossible to deny that the the mainstream financial services world and crypto is merging closer and closer together. You know, you mentioned the Bitcoin ETF um, in, in the US that's just been approved, the futures ETF. Um, there's another grayscale which are looking to convert their uh, trust into an ETF. So that'd be, and they hold like 3% of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. like total supply or something. Um, I think we've already got one here in, in the UK. Um, is it starts with a J? I can't remember. Anyway, I, the, the point is the worlds are becoming more and more um, merged together. And I think it's, I think it is, there's too much money now. You know, you hear that, you hear these people say, you know, Bitcoin could go to zero. And yeah, it could like, obviously, like mm -hmm. hypothetically it could, but I think there's almost too much money and there's too many powerful people who are involved now for that to necessarily happen. Like who knows what the future looks like. But I think it is, I think the chances of crypto disappearing altogether is very, very slim now. Yeah. It's taken me some time to get around to it, to be honest, to really kind of get my head around, number one, the whole purpose, how it works, all that kind of stuff, how it will integrate with the financial system. That's been my bigger thing. And I think it's got track record now. I mean, I did a video where I was looking at Warren Buffett and, you know, his return in Berkshire Hathaway between 1965 and 2020 was like 2.8 million percent. Yeah, you, yeah. Did, you did a really I did that video well, yeah. on 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 Warren, um, and I thought, okay, look, I need to go and have a look at Bitcoin just to see what it see what it's done in 12 years. Mm. The num I had to double check the number, and I ran it three <laughs> times. It was 71 million percent return. It's absolutely yeah. crazy, and I think when you look at it, for me. I've kind of now come around to because I think, as you said, there's way too much money in it now that I don't think that it will kind of like disappear. It could, it could technically, but I don't think that it will. And I'm really, really interested with obviously the ETFs and we have the Valkyrie as well that also started trading, um, yeah. I think it was on the 22nd or so. So there's, <clears throat> there's two active at the moment that are SEC kind of like signed off. And I think that will open the floodgates to more um, ETFs like that. Do you think, I mean, obviously the FCA kind of like banned exchange uh, exchange traded products and those kind of instruments here in the UK, but do you think that five years from now, 
as an advisor, we in the UK might have the ability to invest via a financial advisor into a Bitcoin holding to diversify the portfolio? Yeah, I'd be shocked if we can't. Like I really would. I think, I think I'd be shocked for a number of reasons. Number one, because, you know, everyone talks about the the US, about, um, you know, New York City, about Manhattan being a financial center of the world. Yeah, it is. But London is not far behind. Like I think mm-hmm. sometimes because we we like to be kind of self-deprecating and think of ourselves as quite a quaint little little country, mm-hmm. we forget what a what a financial powerhouse the city is. You know, it's it's huge. So I think there's going to be, uh, you know, again a lot of very wealthy, very well connected people in in the UK who are pushing mega hard for this. So number one, I think there's going to be a massive. Um, a massive supply side push on on getting things regulated and there's also obviously the demand side i think at the moment it's it's a, a demographic thing i think it's it's crypto holdings in the uk or the world all over the world would skew very young i think but that is that is changing all the time and i think in a lot of ways if it's if we don't if we aren't in a place where there is some sort of exposure to to bitcoin or crypto available to through a regulated way that's going to be a massive disservice to um, to investors who are engaged with a financial advisor, because because I think you know it's like anything. You will get to a point where something is so popular and so common that people will just do it themselves. And crypto, especially whilst it re- especially if it remains unregulated, it's still easy to get to get scammed. And there's a lot of coins out there. Like if you go on Reddit, I follow a few of the cryptocurrency subreddits there, and there's people getting you know, they call it a rug pull where the developer will create a coin or a token, pump it up with, you know, a picture of a cute dog or whatever, and the price will go crazy through FOMO. And then they basically dump all their holdings. And, you know, those kind of things can't really happen. They can't happen um, really on, on the stock market because of the way it's regulated, because of the transparency that's needed. So, yeah, it's one of those ones where I think I, I really hope in five years and I really think that in five years there'll be more regulation around it and it will be more widely available to, to re- retail investors like, uh, you know, any other kind of fund, hedge fund is these days. What excites a lot of people about the whole crypto space, and this is sticking with Bitcoin potentially for the moment, is, you know, the speculation that in five years' time you're potentially going to see, you know, a half a million dollar coin, like almost a million dollar coin. I'm of the opinion that in order for that to happen, it's going to require huge amounts of volume that you are going to need institutional money. And I think the way I see it in my head, the path to that is if we get more ETFs approved. I mean, look, currently the the futures, the BITO and um, the BTF um, ETFs that have been approved by the SEC, they're they're running on futures contracts. They're really expensive. I mean, the BITO, the... Um, the the cost for that is 0.95% is crazy. Um, but I think that in order for you to even get anywhere near half a million a coin, even a million a coin in five, six years time, whatever time period you need, you're going to need institutional money. And with pension funds potentially, you know, being an element or a contribution to that, financial advisors, you know, these hedge funds, I think you're going to need ETFs. Do you think in five years time, a five hundred thousand pound, a five hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin is possible without institutional diversification into the asset. Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's possible. Like I th- think, I think if you looked at, I don't know what the statistics are, but I think if you looked at the percentage of people that hold, well, actually, 
what did I hear the other day? I think it was like, was it 1% or 3%? It's low anyway, really, really low. I think it's 3%. I think it's 3%. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you think about that, just purely that fact, like if everyone who owns crypto got their parents to buy some, like straight away, that's a lot of retail money that could still flow into it. So, yeah, I think I think it's possible, but I think I think some of the numbers that get thrown around misunderstand your point, which is that, you know, the higher a price of an asset moves, the more pure money you need going into that asset to push it up that that high. You know, if, if a Bitcoin to double from from here is going to take a lot more money than it took to double from, you know, yeah. $30,000. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it's possible. I think something, I think personally that we're not going to see the full potential of of Bitcoin or any of the cryptocurrency um, kind of universe or, you know, blockchains until for, for quite a long time. And I think really that's not going to be maximized until there's basically no one left who remembers a time without it. Like my kids, I've got a couple of young kids, six and three. For them, Bitcoin is going to be like really normal. Like it's just part of like, it's like the stock market for us. Like it's always there. You see it on the news, like your parents talk about it. Your mates talk about it as you get older at school, you learn about it at school. And I think until you get to that point where it is just completely mainstream and normal, there's but there's always a potential higher upside. I think there's always a downside. And I think for, for crypto, regular, regulation is the biggest potential one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could take a very, it could take a very long time. Like I say, I would expect it in five years, but I look at something like the legalization of cannabis in the US, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of spread like wildfire. And, that, and if you'd gone back a year or two ago, cannabis stocks were like the new hot thing that everyone, you know, so much VC money going in there and everyone was trying to get in on it. And it's kind of spread now to the point where as far as I'm aware, like the majority of states now have legalized cannabis in, in the in the US. It's very much a part of the mainstream, but that kind of hasn't spread mm-hmm. like to the UK, for example, to Australia, yeah. to all through Europe. So, you know, you, you, yeah, it could it could really go quite quickly, but I can see potentially governments putting a, a big hold on it, which would slow down, like you say, that that price rise because you're not going to unlock all that that money waiting on the sidelines. It's an interesting point you made there because you, my biggest question is, you know, how does the cryptocurrency space coexist with the existing financial system? Because, you know, when you start looking at DeFi, I mean, it's very, very exciting. The whole prospect mm. of, you know, <clears throat> you could buy an NFT which has your, your mortgage deeds on there and you can complete on the mortgage literally everything being on the blockchain that's very very exciting but what impact does that then have on the existing financial system and monetary policy and all of these other things that come into into the question and it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts of whether you think those two can actually coexist in the future because i think you're going to need the crypto space and it's great that it's there because it will spur on innovation but actually, it's really, really scary to think about how it will impact the traditional financial system the way we know it right now. And I always try and stress to people, like people talk about, you know, cryptocurrency, blockchain, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, we want that. It's going to break down the system. But it's like, that's your house, your mortgage, mm-hmm. your car finance is everything that your life is built on currently. And there has to be some kind of reconciliation at some point between the two in order for there not to be a, a massive um, dystopia almost, uh, a, a massive uh, seismic shift 
that will basically wreck what we already have now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, to your first point there, that that's the most exciting part for me. So the price of the coins and stuff, like yeah, it's fun to watch and everything. And you know, I'm sure it's going to make some people very, very wealthy. But for me, the really exciting part is, is you know, smart contracts, NFTs. Like NFTs again, like at the moment, considered this they're stupid at the moment because it's just <laughs> like these stupid JPEGs that are selling for like 10 yeah. million quid or whatever. Like it's, that's so dumb. But what's interesting is how that transaction is being facilitated. So yeah, I see a massive potential for, for smart contracts for using the blockchain in our day-to-day life in ways that, you know, the surface is really just getting scratched on that. Um, and I think, you know, quite a lot of people that I speak to, about it will say, yeah, I think the blockchain's great, but I think cryptocurrency is stupid. It's like, but but they're they're the same thing. Yeah. Like you they're can't have one without the other. And yeah, the price now is crazy and it's stupid. But at some point it will mature to the point where you're not going to get these fluctuations because of what we we're talking about before. You get to a point where you need so much volume to move the price of an asset, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, that it just won't fluctuate as much because there's not going to be enough money to move the price on a daily basis. And I think at that point, then all of the actual technology that sits below the individual blockchains or the technology of the individual blockchains can really be used for stuff that we've not even thought of before. Yeah. I think to your point about can they coexist, um, the, way, the way I think about this and this may, I'm sure someone who knows a lot more about this than me would tell me that I'm completely wrong with this analogy, but in my mind, the way I have it is like thinking about like transportation over, over time, right? So, you know, not that long ago, we had horse and buggy and that was it. Like 120 years ago, well, no, earlier than that, but, you know, a couple hundred years ago, horse and buggy was like the only way you could move goods, you could move people. And then the train come along and that like changed the world because all of a sudden, you know, you could move goods that landed in Boston across the frontier to California within a couple of days where it would have taken you like many, many weeks and many, many trips to get the stuff there. So that like transformed the world in the way that we could access more remote places and build cities and that sort of stuff. Fast forward another 100 years, 200 years, however long it was, motor car comes along. All of a sudden, you're not just talking about moving, you know, companies moving goods and stuff. You're talking about individuals being able to do it. We've then, you know, since then we've got, you know, it's been car world for a long time we've got lots of different types of public transport now they're talking about you know all this space exploration you know one of the things that i remember listening to an interview with richard branson quite a number of years ago and he said for him for virgin the end goal with space travel isn't to go to mars or to moon i know elon musk keen on that but for him it was like having the ability to pop out of the earth's atmosphere zip across and pop back down meant you could have a trip from London to Sydney that would take like half an hour. Mm. So, you know, again, it's, it's about un- all these different um, methods of transportation have unlocked um, new abilities for companies, new, new, new ways for companies and people to, to run their lives in a more efficient way. And for me, I see that being the end game with cryptocurrency. You know, the stock market's never going to go away. Um, there's going to be certain types of organizations or technology or businesses that are going to be better off being launched as a you know blockchain-based as- asset or investment or, or, or project. And there's going to be certain ones that are going to be better off um, being maintained as a traditional, you know, share-based company structure. So I think we're just going to see that the two worlds become more and more intertwined. Um, and they, I think they'll definitely coexist. I mean, you know, we're already seeing it now 
a very strong integration of loads of companies holding cryptocurrencies on the on the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think again, that will only get more and more if we get more companies who are prepared to accept cryptocurrency for for payment. That's just going to increase over time. Yeah, interesting points there. I, I obviously was it last week. Last week, um, Mark Zuckerberg talked about the whole rebranding of Facebook into Meta. Yeah, Metaverse. yeah. yeah. I found that really, really fascinating. I'm actually planning a video on this because I find it mm-hmm. so fascinating because it reminds me of um, Ready Player One, the film. Yeah. Like it, yeah, yeah. that feels like where we're going. And mm-hmm. just thinking about the financial strength and the capability that Facebook has to make things like the metaverse a reality, that that walks and plays into the field of cryptos, NFTs, like massively central land manner all that kind of stuff and yeah i don't it's it's one of those things where i don't fully quite understand how the metaverse actually works but i can see it i can definitely see it that in 50 years from now people live in the physical world and completely have a completely different reality in the virtual world to me that's just mind-blowing and just think about that you know the blockchain plays a massive part in that for me, it's just it's absolutely huge. And people talk about, you know, uh the greatest wealth transfer event in history being facilitated by the blockchain. It's very, very exciting. I think it's the education part that is the most important thing. But like you've already alluded to, there were lots of scams out there. There was one a couple of weeks ago that someone brought my attention to called um Cyber Eats. Like the mm-hmm. guy uh rug pulled, I think he did he I don't think he had the stomach to wait it out for a few days. He, in I think it was about half an hour, he'd accumulated half a million quid and just went. And I was like, unfortunately, if he stayed for like two, three days, maybe a week, it would yeah. have been a whole lot more than that. But the yeah. education around this stuff is so, so important. Yeah, and I think, to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't be surprised if people like you and me, in our age demographic, we never really understand it, like fully, fully. Mm-hmm. And I think just going back again to like, kids who are going to grow up with this, it is it is going to be, they're going to have a completely different mindset around it. You know, I think, I don't think we will ever get to the point where like um, in Zuckerberg's presentation, he had like the Oculus thing on and his yeah. hands like built in the VR headset and stuff. And I think, I think the, the, the chances that people will just literally live with those things on their face, like all the time, I don't think that's realistic, but where I see it becoming a, um, where I see it heading is just a ongoing constant integration of our normal, like walking around life and, and the online life. Like, and I think cryptocurrency is a, is a good example of how that is facilitated. Cause at the moment, like we live in the UK, if we want to go and go and watch a, like a movie is a bad example, go like kick the football and, and, you know, grab a beer with our mates like we've got to have GBP in our bank account that we go and like spend there. And then maybe if we have go to do the Tesco food shop, like we've got our Tesco rewards points mm-hmm. and then we go back home and we log on to the metaverse and we're like hanging out with our mates there and we want to, you know, I don't know, buy a new t-shirt or whatever. We buy that with, with Bitcoin, for example, like there's all these like silly levels of friction there. So you've got to have your bank account with some of this money in it. And then you've got your Tesco club card points with like, you know, in that little box that you have to have a login and forget your password and all that. And then you've got to have your crypto wallet for, you know, I see eventually getting to the point where crypto is, you know, not necessarily going to be like the currency that everyone uses, but like 
potentially you'd get a scenario where there's a lot less friction with all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you have your one wallet that is able to, you're able to spend on the Facebook metaverse, you're able to spend on Decentraland, you're able to spend on, you know, Fortnite upgrades. You can then use the same thing when you go grab a beer with your mates, the same thing when you go watch a man new game. Like, I think there is, you know, a lot of tech companies have made a shitload of money through removing friction from our lives. Mm -hmm. And I think I see there being more and more of that um, globally removing removing that friction and removing the friction from all these little wallets and stuff and money and bits and pieces we have to have everywhere. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. And I'm interested to to witness the journey. And by the time this comes to full fruition, I'll probably be gone and, and everything like that. But I, it's a really, really exciting. And it's, I was thinking about this early this morning, like, you know, life imitating fiction. It's like, that's yeah. exactly where it is. I mean, because if you just think about, like, I remember like uh, Star Trek uh, with, um, what was his name? William Shatner. When yeah, yeah. they used to have these little flip out things, which were the communication devices. Yeah, yeah. You know, all, all, so all futuristic. Those, yeah, so <laughs> futuristic back then. And then yeah. lo and behold, you know, in the what, in the 90s came the, the well, early 2000s actually came the Motorola Razor, sort of flip yeah. one. And then was like, oh my God, it's that thing from Star Trek. It's yeah, just yeah. weird. It really, really is. It really, really is. I definitely, you know, one thing that I keep thinking about is um, Google Glasses. Mm. You know, like they were like really big. Well, no, they, they were never really big. There was a lot of like press about them, but I never saw a pair in real life. I never knew anyone who ever actually bought them. And they kind of seemed a bit stupid, but like I can totally imagine buying an upgrade of like your your heads up display that it, you use on like Fortnite or like, um, you know, again, it could integrate with your Apple Watch or whatever. Like there's all these different integrations where you could have them in real life mm-hmm. and the upgrade you've paid for in Fortnite is like, available in 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 real life so yeah there's loads of stuff there's just there's loads of stuff that'll that'll surprise us i think over the next five ten years yeah i think with the google glasses they were way ahead of their timing because that was yeah for sure four years ago something like that probably even longer than that you know longer than that that, yeah yeah they were way ahead of their time with that massively and yeah it's exciting to see you know where this is all going to go so I, I have a question for you, and I think this is where we're kind of finishing on. Given your experience, because you're a financial advisor, all that kind of stuff, what are the biggest lessons that you've picked up about investing during your years in the industry? Yeah, so I think um, I think I've kind of alluded to it as we've been speaking in a lot of ways. I think whenever you have an investment, it's, you have to have an end goal in mind. And that's not necessarily an end goal like when I have a million quid, I'm done, but an end goal of like, why are you investing? What are you putting that money away for? Because I think whether you speak to someone who's a normal everyday person, or you speak to you hear to, hear these billionaires speaking on on podcasts and things, you know one of the traps you can easily fall into is kind of never never always feeling like you want more. And so I think for me, whenever I'm speaking to clients, and uh, the most important thing is getting really clear about what you want your life to look like. Because at the end of the day, like investing, investing can be a game, like it can be fun. And that's kind of, the, it's very gamified these days. But the whole point of it is to get more money. The whole point of getting more money is to be able to do more things in your life or buy more things that you want or not work or whatever. And I think you need to be really clear about what that is for you. And, it, you know, maybe that is that you want to buy a new pair of Balenciagas every week. Maybe it's you want to work only three days a week. Like it doesn't really matter like what your what your motivations are. There's nothing, um, maybe don't want to blow it on drugs or something. But broadly speaking, like there's not that many bad kind of conclusions you can come to about what you want your life to look like. But 
I think that's really important because then you're investing for a purpose. You're investing, understanding um, what what you're trying to achieve, and then that also helps take away that short-term thinking. You know, if you've got a, a plan, you're probably not going to take. You're probably not going to achieve for five or ten years. You can kind of zoom out and say, well, it doesn't really matter if I buy, you know, this particular meme coin this week or this particular one because like that's not really part of my long-term plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's that's the other point is that. All this kind of crazy stuff can be quite fun, but it also is risky. And I think that's forgotten when we're at the top top of a bull market, like you're just um, talking about there. But you know, I think people can forget that just a couple of years ago, Bitcoin fell 85% yeah. in over a 12 month period. So if you're bu- booking your your retirement plan or your house deposit or something like really important in your actual life, you know, if you're if you're booking that on an on an asset like Bitcoin, you've got to be really careful. Uh, and I wouldn't do it. You know, I think I don't think it's mature enough yet to say that we won't see another year like that. Um, so, playing it safe for the stuff that is real non-negotiables in your life, and then feel free to have kind of a pot where you have a punt. You buy stuff that you, if everything, if you lose, if you lose all of that money, all of that pot, it's not going to impact your life. Yeah, I completely agree. And and this is where I wish that you know that kind of message was sexy on YouTube. having goals having goals being clear because the goal will dictate how you go about investing and what you invest in and what your approach is going to be and and this is i don't know i say this a lot on youtube and i I, people don't like me saying this but i feel like it needs to be said because i'm like when you're when you're when you're watching youtube videos and i don't care what anybody says and this is why I choose not to do certain things on YouTube, like in terms of like showing my portfolio and what I'm invested in, because inevitably people do copy what you do, what you show. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to show my, my portfolios because I don't want someone going to copy what exactly what I do, because that's for me, that's my own plan based on what I want to achieve. And it might not be right for you. And I yeah. think there's too much of that across social media. You know, I'm invested in this and people then go buy that and copy without really understanding how it works and not even starting, you know, you can talk about understanding how something works, but the first thing, what are you doing it for? What is your goal? If you cannot answer that question, you're not prepared. You're starting off on the wrong foot. And I I honestly believe that you should be nowhere near, you know, markets, cryptos, if you don't know why you're doing it. It's like, you're never going to get into a car and just be like, oh, I'm just going to get in the car and drive and not have a plan of how much fuel you have or where you're going yeah. to go or where you're going to get more fuel or how you're going to eat. You're not going to do that. You're <laughs> going to plan it beforehand. And I think it's just a really important, important point that you just mentioned there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how many times I have a conversation with someone who just has a chat with me about potentially investing some money. They are buying a house in two years or three years or whatever. And I'm like, just put it in cash. Like, yeah, it sucks. The interest rates suck you'll probably lose a little bit in inflation over the next few years, but like that is actually the best option for you. And it's kind of like, almost like the wind is taken out of their sails. Like, Oh, what? Like I wanted to invest. I wanted to make heaps of money. It's like, yeah, but in two years you could lose 20% of that, like quite easily, no matter what, even if investing in, in blue chip stocks, you could say, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've had that as well. I've had that as well. And I just say to people that at the end of the day, like given the context of what your goal is, which is the house, the 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 thing that you want to achieve is not investment returns the goal is the house that is yeah the yeah goal. exactly that should be exactly. the objective not yeah. the investment returns on the road for you to get the house the house is the reward and i think sometimes just people they zoom past what 
is the very <laughs> first thing that they should have in their mind to something else because it's sexy on social media. And yeah, it's, um, I think this is where, you know, channels like yours and, and, and mine are really, really important. And I wish there was more, and we need more financial advisors on YouTube, if I'm, if I'm completely honest. That's my, that's my honest opinion. I just know that it's very, very difficult from a regular. How do you actually get around that, by the way, in terms of the regulatory side of things? I never say who I work for. Uh, I make sure there's no no reference to the company. So everything, whether it's the podcast or the YouTube, is me personally. Mm-hmm. So it's not no messaging from from the company. Um, to be honest, I don't think they love it. But like I like say, I think it's important. Um, and yeah, again, I think it's about messaging as well. Like I'm never going to be someone who's like, you should buy a Tesla stock now. Like it's just mm-hmm. not what I'm going to do. So I think mm-hmm. my the risk level is quite low because I'm not kind of I'm not making um, definitive statements like that. But yeah, that is a big problem. And I think the FCA, again, could give um, advisors a lot more guidance and a lot more leeway around that because like by definition, a YouTube video cannot be personal advice. Like I don't know who's watching it. So how could I possibly be giving them personal financial advice? I think there's a massive disconnect there between the, the objective, the need, the need for it, the objective and like the potential outcome for a financial advisor. So it's, it's it's tough. Yeah. I mean, the whole, you are not allowed to do these things was one of the big deterrents why I didn't start YouTube earlier because it was like, it was just a minefield. All right. And in the end, I was just like, you know what, sorry, I'm just going to do it because I feel like we need to be on there. And certainly because there are so many people out there who are, who create videos, who just not really, they're not qualified. So they, they're learning on their own and they're still putting all this stuff out. And it's like, that's all very well and good because people like to see themselves in another person and the journey. They can find that connection, that camaraderie, and it Mm. can be inspiring. I completely get that. But at the same time, like what we say and what we show does have consequence on people, particularly if, you know, you're looking at the younger generation who are quite um, easily influenced by, you know, I've got a Rolex or, you know, I drive a Tesla or, or this kind of stuff. It's really, 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 really dangerous. And yeah, it's, it, I struggle with it all the time. I struggle with it every single video that I make. And I often ask myself when I'm actually, you know, adding to the problem more than solving it. But I guess time is gonna, gonna to tell whether yeah. you know, we having a good impact or not. But yeah. in finishing, why don't you let people know, number one, where they can find you, anything you got going on right now, some people can follow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I, my podcast is the UK Money Podcast. So if you're, if you're a podcast listener, listen to this, um, it'd be great if you could check that out. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel. So I'm, I'm kind of doing a bit of a rebrand at the moment. So again, trying to move it away from me personally. So my the kind of new brand is The Hedge. So I've rebranded the, the YouTube channel to The Hedge UK. Uh, I've also got a, a newsletter you can check out at thehedge.io. Perfect. Excellent. There you go, guys. Um, that was Jason um, for you. Thanks for coming on, mate. I know that we we've, we tried to do this behind the scenes for like, yeah. it was like two, three months. Yeah, like definitely. Some, Jason had something happen. Then when we reorganized, I had to go away. And so this is the third attempt trying to make this happen. But thank you for bearing with me and making this a reality. And I hope that if you're listening to this um, episode, you've actually gained something from this as well. Make sure that you go and follow um, Jason's uh, YouTube, uh, The Hedge and listen to the podcast as well. But as always, um, I always, you know, try to make sure that we're approaching these kind of topics with a pragmatic 
level-headed approach, not adding to the hyperbole around this kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, we are talking about, you know, your money, your finances, your goals, your future. Money is a tool, life is for living. And so, you know, it's really important that you put your best foot forward. If that means that you've got to listen to a podcast or you've got to do some additional reading and take your time. I was saying to someone the other week that, you know, the best time to invest in the market is now. But now is a moving target. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be next month. But you have to feel comfortable in what you're doing. And please just bear in mind that, you know, whilst we have spoken about Bitcoin and, and, and stocks here, this shouldn't be considered as financial advice. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Whatever you're doing this week, have an amazing week. And I'll catch you next Monday. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to check out other episodes and share with the people closest to you. New to investing? Check out Peter's course for first-time investors designed to give you the foundation you need. If you prefer one-on-one coaching, book a complimentary discovery with the man himself. All links in the show notes. 